Today's podcast is sponsored by Synopsys, powering the new era of smart everything from silicon to software. You're listening to EE Times On Air, and this is EE Times Current. In for Eric Singer, I'm Taylor Marvin. In a recent discussion with Manmeet Walia of Synopsys, the topic of multi-dice systems came up, prompting questions around its feasibility and key challenges. We delved deeper into those challenges and opportunities and how the industry is working to drive innovation and growth. But before we dive into our discussion with Manmeet, let's take a quick moment to check out the latest headlines in the world of technology. NVIDIA is making big strides in the world of chip manufacturing. They're bringing GPU acceleration to computational lithography, which will help improve yield and reduce the cost per chip. Their KuLitho computational lithography libraries, along with the H100 hardware, will speed up processing by 42 times, making chip manufacturing more efficient. NVIDIA has partnered with EUV equipment maker ASML and EDA tool vendor Synopsys to bring this technology to Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co. starting in June. The U.S. is taking steps to establish its $11 billion NSTC, or National Science and Technology Council. The NSTC is a public-private consortium that aims to build domestic manufacturing capacity and reduce reliance on foreign production in the chip industry. The initiative will join government, industry, academia, entrepreneurs, workforce representatives, and investors. Several industry organizations have already published recommendations on the creation of the NSTC, which is expected to cost $11 billion. Applied Materials is also making waves in chip production. The company has announced its Sincera Sculpta system, which promises to provide a cost-effective alternative to extreme ultraviolet, or EUV, lithography double patterning. This system can reduce the number of EUV steps, production complexity, and costs while potentially improving yields. Intel is the only company that has announced plans to use the Centura Sculpta system for its Intel 20A fabrication process in 2024 to 2025. Those are your technology updates. Let's now continue to our interview with Manmeet. Here's Eric Singer. Manmeet, thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited to talk about this topic that is so hot these days. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. And it's my pleasure to talk to you. So let's talk about the reality of what's happening in this sector right now. Is the move to multi-die systems, is it real? And what are the key challenges with deploying it? Yes, absolutely. Multi-die systems are very real. In fact, this is the next uh, productivity wave in the world of semiconductor design. You know, the last productivity wave happened about two decades ago with IP reuse. So now multi-die systems is that next productivity wave. It is the inflection point today. It's an opportunity for us to rethink everything to do with the semiconductor design. There are a lot of projections being made around multi-die systems, you know, 50 billion in chiplet revenue forecasted in 2024. There are projections around 10% of all advanced designs being multi-die in the next five years. And we see it happening all around us, right? AMD, Ryzen, and Epic CPUs, all public examples, Apple M1 Ultra Max CPU, uh, Amazon Graviton 3, Intel Contevecchio. We see multi-dies happening all around us. And this is not just the analysts and these examples. We see them in our funnel as well. 
by application primarily in high-performance compute segments, but we also see them in consumer and automotive and elsewhere, and across all process technology nodes as well. And in terms of challenges that you just talked about, there are lots and lots of challenges to be solved. These challenges go way beyond the die-to-die interfaces. You know, everything to do with, you know, your system power modeling to complex packaging, thermal management, you know, architectural partitioning, latency, currency, yields, on and on. You know, there are new attack vectors, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want to make one last point that today we are primarily seeing captive and fixed systems today. Uh, you know, the mm. same vendor doing all the dice. But once we move to an open marketplace, and if and when that happens, all these challenges that I just talked about will go 10x more in terms of complexity. Can you tell us how the move to multi-die systems is making die-to-die connectivity so much more critical? And how do you measure die-to-die connectivity? What are those key technical metrics? Yeah, you know, there are key technical metrics that define die-to-die connectivity. In the world of high-speed fives or cities, you know, we use this term called PA or power performance in area. Now, this has extended to PPA plus L. Latency has been added to it. And in, in many applications, latency is more critical than power performance in area. So the technical metrics for die-to-die are very similar. You know, we, we got area that is called as edge efficiency or on your beachfront. Mm-hmm. So we got edge efficiency. Then we got energy efficiency, which is your power. And then we got latency, which is extremely critical for many die-to-die applications. And then finally, we got performance, which is measured in terms of reaches in different package types and your bit error rate. Just to give you an example, when we are doing a server scaling or an AI scaling with homogeneous size, latency and coherency are absolutely very critical. You need to make the two knocks in the two dives look like a single knock through zero latency. Likewise, when we are doing heterogeneous computing, like a processor and accelerator talking to each other, Again, latency is extremely critical and coherency is critical. And on top of that, they have to be interoperable. Mm. So these are the four or five very important technical metrics that define a die-to-die, multi-die system. A lot of what we've already talked about seems to hinge on the idea of interoperability. So what are the various standards that are out there today? Yeah, so number one, There are still a lot of proprietary standards uh, for captive systems from tier one vendors, you know, NVLink from NVIDIA or Q-Link from Qualcomm or G-Link from GUC, on and on. But leaving that aside, we now have, we now have four alliances and five standards across the ecosystem. We have OIF, which has defined 112 gig XSR. This is a Cerdes-based standard, but this is primarily becoming a niche now, mostly around optical networking, co-package optics type of applications. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we got the second alliance, which is your OCP, our Open Compute Project. And they have defined what is called as BOW or Bunch of Wires. 
And this is a very minimalistic standard. No protocol has been defined and, and it's primarily around 2D packaging technologies. Then we have under OCP, we had, oh, we had open HBI, which is halting their operations right now. So to, let's see where that goes. Ah, okay. But then we have this third one, third alliance, which was called the Chips Alliance, primarily like DARPA, Intel, which had defined AIB. And then we have UCIE, which is the latest and the greatest. This is the new hot thing. This is truly a universal standard that supports all use cases, all package types. And we believe that UCIE will be the winner, you know, so we're 100% focused on UCIE of all the standards that are available today. And is that primarily just because it, because it is intended to be so much more universal, there are fewer restrictions in terms of what kind of application you could use it in? Yeah, yeah. So we, we believe that UCIE will become the de facto standard for die-to-die. And there are several reasons for why UCIE will become the de facto standard. And we can basically look at it in three different ways, right? Why we believe UCIE will gain the most market share. Mm. Number one is got the best technical metrics in terms of what we just talked about, PA plus L. So in terms of energy efficiency, in terms of edge efficiency, in terms of latency, we believe UCIE is the most advanced of all standards. Number two, it's the most comprehensive and the most future-proof in terms of being able to support all use cases, all package types, you know, a complete protocols stack. And it's also future-proof for, you know, 32 gig operation in, in near future. And the third reason is it's got the broadest ecosystem. It's got the widest range of promoters and contributors spanning all industry segments. You got CPU vendors like Intel and AMD and ARM and NVIDIA. You got hyperscalers like Google Cloud, Meta, Microsoft, Alibaba. You got OSATs like ASC. You got foundries like MCM, Samsung. You got IP vendors. So it's got the broadest ecosystem. And then it's going to evolve in your future. Yeah. And, you know, mentioned these names. We've certainly seen big names get behind standards that haven't taken hold before. But I can't think of a time when we've had so many major players across the board from hardware to everything else getting on board with this. So that does indeed seem like a very good sign. You mentioned that we're evolving already use yes. cases and talk a little bit more about how you see UCIE evolving in the months and years to come. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about captive ecosystems today, you know, one when they're doing everything. If and when things will move to a marketplace, like an open marketplace, then UCIE has to evolve in terms of interoperating amongst various vendors, in terms of certification programs, in terms of improving their power performance area latency. So one of the things that's happening is that the per pin speeds are going to go up from 16 gigabits per second to 32 gigabits per second. Uh, there are new attack vectors coming in. So authentication, security authentication is going to become very critical. When you have to test multiple dies from different vendors, testability is going to get very important and that needs to be standardized. Form factors for, for some predefined shiplets will become important. There are a lot of package variants coming up and that has to, so UCIE has to evolve to support the new package variants. We need to have support for bridges in terms of the knock bridges from the various knock bridges available from uh, like AXI, from ARM, et cetera. So they need to be supported. 
And then finally, you know, we are talking about co-package optics a lot these days. So UCI has to evolve to define use cases around co-package optic solutions as well. So lots and lots of exciting things are happening in terms of how and where UCI evolution will happen. There are so many things that, are, that, that we see just around the bend coming up. What are some of the applications that you're seeing already happening? Primarily, these applications are around the server and AI space. But sure. then we also see a lot of networking and storage. And then we also see a, a lot of automotive applications ramping up. And then mm. finally, we see a little bit of consumer industrial segments as well. So it's all across the board, board, but primarily dominated by server AIs today, closely followed by automotive and networking applications. In terms of process technologies as well, right, we primarily see the CPUs and all these AI server applications driving down this Moore's law. So three out of four opportunities are in, you know, three nanometers, three, four, five, and seven nanometer. But then we are also beginning to see a lot of N minus one, N minus two nodes in terms of 12 and 16 nanometer through IO chiplets, for example, right? which are driving these N-1, N-2 process nodes. And then one last note in terms of packaging technologies, we see about 60% of the pipeline still on the organic substrate packages, laminate packages, which are a lot Mm. cheaper than the advanced packages. Sure. Right, the bridge types or the interposer type packages, they are the other 40% or so. Can you give us any example of of some applications in the automotive space that are under development or in production currently? Yeah, again, in the automotive space, we have been talking uh, a lot of more processing power is being needed in the automotive space now. So we are talking about the zonal architectures and the and, and a more centralized processor in the center. So we see a lot of automotive applications both around ADAS and also infotainment type of applications. What is Synopsys doing to help adopt the UCIE standard and to enable designers of multi-die systems to thrive in this ecosystem? Yeah, number one, like I said, we are 100% now focused on UCIE. We are all in with UCIE. We have deployed a massive army of R&D to some massive resources have been deployed to build out a broad UCIE portfolio. We are moving as fast as we can to lev- and leveraging our scale and our infrastructure to enable our first early wave customers to tape out second half this year. And I just want to mention that UCIE is complex. Just the scale of UCIE is very broad and very wide because number one, we have, we're working with multiple foundries. We're working on multiple process nodes, you know, the latest nodes and then N minus one, N minus two nodes. Every, every node can have up to three or four package variants. Every package mm-hmm. variants can have two orientations. The all in all, there are too many permutations and combinations mm-hmm. on the phi side. Likewise, on the controller side, it's a unique protocol stack, way different from what USB or PCIe has defined. You know, it has a baseline controller that's called adapter. And then it has multiple protocols that can write on it, the streaming, the CXL, the PCIe. And on top of that, you have multiple bridges, the knock bridges. 
So it's it's a very broad portfolio that needs to be built out with a lot of permutations and combinations. And how we are trying to differentiate here is, again, we are going beyond the die-to-die interface, right? Yeah, we're building a broad UCI portfolio with all of these variants of the Pi and the controller that I talked about. But then we're going beyond that. We're looking at a full solution in terms of having a security engine authentication engine in terms of silicon life integrating silicon life cycle management in there in terms of all the tests and diagnostics and tightly integrating that into our uci interface in terms of having access to multiple knock bridges after the controllers so that we can have a full knock to knock solution we are also growing a lot of our packaging expertise in-house to work with multiple package vendors and then customize our uci solution for those package types so growing a lot of uh, interposer substrate-related expertise. And then we are wrapping all that with signal integrity, power integrity, you know, our Zebu prototyping platforms, verification IPs, subsystem services, and our 3DIC EDA platforms to, to simulate and test it all. So there's tons and tons of activity going on at Synopsys to enable multi-die systems. Yeah, you do not sound like you are hedging your bets here. This is, as you described it, all in. And it really does, the more you talk about this, the more impressed I am with both the breadth of the standard as well as the, for lack of a better word, the length of it, looking forward at challenges that that we're not even running into yet, but anticipating what's to come as people start rolling this out into different use cases. You touched a little bit just a moment ago about packaging technologies, and I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit and give us your thoughts on how packaging technologies are evolving for multi-die systems in general. Yeah, so there is a massive churn happening in the package world as well. So what's happening there is that there are multiple 2D and 2.5D and in future 3D packaging technologies evolving for higher and more dense integration. And very simply, we can put all these package types on a XY axis with cost on one side and density on the other side, right? In terms of the lowest cost options, we have, you know, our 2D technologies, which is organic substrate, your standard laminate pa- package. Sure. These would have 110, 130 micron pitch, about 80 to 120 IOs per millimeter square. So these are the least dense and the least expensive. And I earlier mentioned that this is 60% of the use cases because they're cheaper. Sure. The other extreme of it, which is the highest density and the most expensive, are the interposer. These are like four to five times more expensive than organic subs. You know, they offer pitches around 40 microns, 50 microns, and they can pack like 600 plus IOs in a millimeter square. So that's the most expensive option. But what is interesting now is a lot of technologies are evolving between the organic substrate and the interposer that offer trade-offs, you know, in the center in terms of density mm. and cost. So this is where we have the bridge technologies, the RDL fan-out technologies, and a combination of bridge and RDL fan-out technologies. And these are approximately like, let's say, two to three times, about 2x more expensive than the organic substrates, but they can offer about 300 plus IOs in a millimeter square. Wow. So there are tons and tons of these packaging technologies evolving. 
you know, around organic substrates, around high-density organic substrates with bridges, with RDL fanouts, and then finally the interposers. And on top of that, you know, we have all of these leading manufacturers, right? TSMC, Samsung, Intel, and ESC that have their own flavors of each one of these, right? So we need to have this magic decoder ring of all these 2D, <laughs> 2.5D, 3D packaging technologies from each one of these vendors that I just mentioned. And then final note on this is that at some time, you know, 3D will happen. 3D is futuristic. We can already see it happening for memory dyes today, but not on the logic dyes. And this is, again, with all these leading vendors that I just mentioned are working on some hybrid bonding technologies with 3D as well. If you had to guess about when we might see 3D logic dyes actually happening, what's your guess? You know, it may not be too far off, but the way things are evolving and with the amount of excitement and investment going on around multi-die systems, these may be another couple of years out, let's say 2025, 2026 onwards. We've learned in this industry to not be surprised at the at the speed of formerly impossible technologies coming to bear. Yeah. <laughs> Manmeet, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your insights about this standard with our listeners. We really appreciate you. My pleasure, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap on another exciting episode of EE Times Current. Thank you for joining us today. And a huge thanks to our guest, Manmeet Willia, Product Management Director at Synopsys. Synopsys, powering the new era of smart everything from silicon to software. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe to EE Times Current on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and check out our other podcasts, Embedded Edge, Power Up, and AI with Sally. EE Times Current is brought to you by EE Times and is produced by Lady Maya Kane. Today's episode was engineered by me, Taylor Marvin from Coop Studios. Thank you for listening.